Welcome to the second episode of Salute to Strength, the Building Veteran Healthy Communities podcast. The Building Veteran Healthy Communities project is made possible by students and faculty at UNC Gilling School of Public Health with support from the Durham Department of Veterans Affairs. Today on the show, I have the honor to host Dr. Sarah Archer, a professor at Indiana University School of Public Health and a nurse who has worked for decades with humanitarian groups and as a U.S. military contractor. Her experiences led her to study moral injury among veterans and healthcare workers. She now works alongside the Building Veteran Healthy Communities team, helping us better understand the adverse impacts of moral injury on overall veteran mental health and well-being. Without further ado, let's dive into this conversation with our esteemed guest, Dr. Sarah Archer. Dr. Archer, thank you so much for joining us today. To kick things off, could you tell us more about yourself and your work in the field of moral injury among veterans? Sure, I'd be glad to. I've been a practicing public health nurse all over the world since 1960. Um, I have a master's in public health and a doctorate in public health as well. Um, At present, I'm an adjunct professor at Fairbanks Global School of Public Health at the Indiana University in Indianapolis and a consultant to the Building Veteran Healthy Communities Project uh, with Durham VA and uh, North Carolina Gillings School of Global Public Health. I have had moral injuries since 1994 when serving as the country director for a medical uh, NGO in Rwanda as the genocide was ending. Because of our supply chain and logistic issues, we had too few supplies to meet the overwhelming healthcare needs of the people in our assigned areas at the beginning. Therefore, as director, I had to make the triage decision that we could only treat people who had a real chance of recovering. This was painful and morally troubling to say the least, although essential. I took an oath to do no harm. And with this decision, I betrayed that oath. Although I canceled my triage decision as soon as we had enough supplies uh, and personnel, I continue to feel guilty because of my because I know my decision caused some people with non-communicable diseases and terminal illnesses to be denied care and therefore to perish prematurely. This is moral injury. From 1998 to 2020, I was a civilian contract subject matter expert for for civilian and public health issues in war and natural disasters for the Department of Defense. I participated in over 100 field training exercises with active duty, reserve and guard U.S. forces, NATO, African Union, and South Korean military personnel, preparing them for deployments in Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, as well as peacekeeping operations worldwide and other missions as assigned, but uh, not discussed. In 2017, I began to study MI, moral injury, and to work with the military chaplains, medics, and senior NCOs initially in the 18th Airborne Corps at Fort Bragg to raise soldiers and officers' awareness of the causes, risks, and symptoms of moral injury to prepare them to cope more effectively with the emotional and moral realities of combat and killing, inevitably facing them and their troops in combat. I have listened to hundreds of service members and veterans' stories and offered support and advice. As a result of COVID, I now work with healthcare workers who also have moral injury as a result of COVID-19. Serving these colleagues has helped me to overcome the guilt and loss of self-esteem, to stop beating myself up for doing what I had to do that broke my moral code, and to forgive myself for violating my own moral commitments. These are essential steps in learning to live with and cope with and thrive with moral injury. 
Sadly, reports indicate that at least 11, 11 veterans kill themselves every day. Even one of these suicides is an unnecessary tragedy that could have been prevented if these veterans had been able to get the help they, that so many needed, but too often did not know how to ask for. I am skeptical that this appalling number is too small, since it's very difficult to determine whether a single car crash or a substance OD is deliberate or accidental, unless there's a suicide note. We are here to talk today about moral injury, which is one of the leading contributing causes to so much suffering for so many of our veterans and them closest to them, and to a vet veteran's eventual tragic suicide. I think you gave a great explanation, really, of what moral injury is. Could you explain further how moral injury differs from other mental health diagnoses, you know, things that come to my mind, and maybe the majority of people's minds when it comes to combat veterans is uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, or anxiety right. or depression. How sure. would you state moral injury differs from these mental health diagnoses? Well, first of all, moral injury is not a mental health diagnosis or disorder. Whether it is not a diagnosis, it's a disorder. It's a descriptive, not a diagnostic term. Moral injury is actually a normal response of profound suffering to, to devastating and harmful life conditions or systems that affects the person because it caused them to do something that violated their moral or ethical code. And the, 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 we are affected by, by, in body, mind, psyche, and spirit. Many of us refer to moral injury as a wound for the, of the soul that kills from the inside. It can be defined as a psychological distress that results from actions or the lack of them. In the, for religious folks, sins of commission or omission which violate one's moral or ethical code. Unlike PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, moral injury is not a mental illness, I repeat. Although the people who have it view it as a stigma as any other so-called mental issue, which is one of the barriers to veterans seeking help for moral injury, because they fear or want to avoid the possible stigma of being called crazy because they're seeing a shrink. Um, however, moral injury can lead to, to very serious uh, situations where people lose their self-esteem, believe I'm a terrible person, or that my colleagues don't care about me, I'm no good, Etc. as a result of what they have done, have not done, observed, and uh, having been betrayed. I'll get into that in a minute. These all can contribute to mental health and physical health problems other than moral injury, including depression, PTSD, and suicidal ideation. Now, you asked for the differences between moral injury and PTSD. There, there has been a great deal of confusion with these two situations. Uh, PTSD is a more a mental issue. Uh, moral injury, as I said, is, is not. It's a normal reaction that you have to learn to live with. Uh, moral injury is spiritual. It leads people to want to avoid the prospect, the, the, to avoid other people to protect them because the person thinks I'm a bad person because I did something wrong, something bad. Um, often it's I don't deserve to live uh, and I or to get better. The signature emotion for moral injury is guilt. So this is a morality issue. PTSD involves re-experiences, traumatic situations hyperarousal, avoidance, 
also as does uh, moral injury, preventing reminders. They're terrified of going places where they're gonna be reminded of what happened to them and what they did or did not do or whatever. Uh, depression, the signature emotion for PTSD is fear. So this is mortality. So the signature differences are moral injury is morality. PTSD is mortality. They overlap, and this is where the confusion has come, not only in separating, in determining which is which, and many people have both, but also in, in, uh, in dealing with these two conditions. They both have reminders. They both have suicidal risks. The bo they both have intrusive thoughts. They both cause sleep issues. They both can result or cause substance abuse. People who have both of them or either of them have anger and disgust. Often they are self-destructive. They feel betrayed. They have trust issues. They have social problems which interfere with their you know, relationships with other people particularly, unfortunately, those usually closest to them. Fatalism and loss of purpose or meaning. My life is, I'm not worth living, I'm a bad person, I should die. Uh, they also have survivor's guilt, uh, particularly in PTSD, but also in moral injury that my buddy died, I tried to save him or her, I failed, that person was better than I am. I'm the one who should be dead, not them. There are two others you didn't mention, but I'll just do them quickly. One is traumatic brain injury, TBI. And this is brain damage. I mean, just plain uh, from head, extreme head trauma, which results in, in loss of motor and, and cognitive and, and speech uh, abilities. Uh, and the third, fourth is burnout. Symptoms of burnout are cynical or, or, or critical of everything, dragging oneself off to work, can't get started, irritable, impatient, and so on. It's not, people try to, not try to, but often confuse moral injury and burnout. They are nowhere near alike. But the issues, the, and in treatment, and in, in, in well, in, in deciding what people have, and as again, I say they can have both, it between moral are between moral injury and PTSD. I think in our last conversation, you mentioned that moral injury was the complex part of CPTSD yeah. or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah, Jonathan Jonathan Shea, who's one of the first Veterans Administration psychiatrists, to recognize that there was something more than PTSD going on. And so originally he called, he, he, he called it complex PTSD. Now we realize they are separate and their causes are separate and they're, they're, many of their manifestations are, are different. However, the, the tragedy is many veterans have both, which is yep. very sad. You shared some statistics that you've found in your many years of research that show the extent of moral injury that service members and veterans deal with. The early research uh, was done by Shaw, Shea and others back in the 80s and 90s um, on PTSD uh, with Vietnam veterans, where the results showed that 60 to 70 percent of the Vietnam veterans had all sorts of psychological and, 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 and physical issues, obviously. For veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan studies, there's a number of them and they range, well, for other induced causes, which I will explain under causes, running between 20 and 45%. With self-induced causes, which means I perpetrated the thing that made me violate my moral code, runs around 25%. Now, if they, 
So the, the so it is it is it is very prevalent. We really don't mm -hmm. know how prevalent it is because many veterans who have moral injury do not know. I don't know how many. I don't know how I can't remember how many uh, servicemen, men and women, after I had finished my my discussion of of uh, we had finished our discussion of PTSD, would come up to me and say I. I didn't know what I had. I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what it was. And I, if, they don't, if you have a, don't have a name for it, it's difficult to define it. Obviously, so right. um, this is this is one of the one of the problems because it is an, a normal response, perhaps an over response to something you have done. But when it involves the death of another person, either from your perpetration or your negligence or your failure to act, it becomes very personal and very damaging. Um, I love that you say that it's a normal response. I think it's important that you've emphasized that yeah. because there's the stigma that exists. That's right. And there might be more veterans that could reconcile or have an awareness about what they're dealing with Maybe if there was less stigma around it, maybe if they understood that this is a normal reaction to something abnormal that happened to them during their time in the military. Yeah. So thank you. Well, yeah, and and one of the one of the problems that I believe still exists in the military, and I've been told about it more than I want to remember, that the military do a marvelous job of preparing people to go to war and kill. We do a lousy job of preparing people to come back and go home, particularly, and I will beat this horse later more, the Reserve and the National Guard who come back to their communities, not to their home post. This is a problem, which I'll go into later. Thanks so much. For the next question, you touched on this in your introduction to moral injury, but in your experience and your research, what situations during service uh, could lead or potentially lead to cases or incidences of moral injury? Right. Maybe we should say development of, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yep. I mean, since it, again, we, we are trying not to medicalize moral injury. It is not a medical, it is not a psychological problem. I mean, it, it is, it is, a, it is a, a soul problem. It is a, a reaction. There are two causes for moral and major causes, categories of causes for moral injury. One is perpetration-based. I mentioned this already uh, in the statistics. The lower statistic was what things that people had done themselves. Perpetrating is, or failing to perpetrate, sorry, failing to prevent or bear witness to or learn about the acts of transgression deeply held, of deeply held moral beliefs. The actual perpetration of these, the witnessing of them and not intervening. You see uh, someone beating somebody up and you don't try to stop them. And uh, then later you feel that you have violated your code because uh, you did not you did not stop the other person from getting beaten up. The second is betrayal. This is the higher one and the and also well it involves people and organizations that we trust betraying us or we feel that they betrayed us by their decisions, by their behavior, uh, by their orders that ended up with people getting killed, uh, which is not the officer's fault, although many officers who've done that have talked to me about, I sent my, my, my troop down, the, down this road and they hit an ID, IED and they were all either killed or injured and it's my fault. Of course, it isn't his fault, but he has to learn that. These two um, are, 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 are closely related. And, and again, it's what I did or what I didn't do or what I saw and didn't intervene in. And the other is my commander, my government, my whomever 
betrayed me. They said we would do something. I will use this example again later, but it's the in in uh, August of nineteen of two thousand. Sorry, two thousand twenty-one when we pulled out or fled from, depending on your point of view, Afghanistan. The United States government and our military had promised our colleagues, our buddies in Afghanistan and well, particularly that we would get them and their families out of Afghanistan if they would help us in the war. They did, and we did not get many of them out, and we still haven't gotten them out. And they have been left to the tender mercies, in quotes, of the Taliban. And that should not happen to anyone. And many service persons have, I mean, and even those who haven't been in, in Afghanistan, because the army or the military, our military, makes a promise to our service people, we will not leave anyone behind. And that was violated very seriously and has caused a lot of people to be very um, angry and even worse, uh, feeling betrayed by their government. How do we know or what, what, what kinds of things cause moral injury? We have a questionnaire uh, called, the moral, called <laughs> cleverly the Moral Injury Questionnaire, Military Version 1. And it asks, and these are the kinds of things that cause people to have uh, moral injury. I saw things or experienced things in the war that left me feeling betrayed or let down by the military, the politicians, or the leaders. I talked about that. I did things in the war that betrayed my personal values. This is the perpetration one. There were times in the war when I saw or engaged in revenge, retribution for things that happened. And they, after that, they do it in a moment. Uh, it, what happens in these situations is their buddies get wiped out. They go rogue. They go and they they take out it's revenge uh it's again a no a relatively normal reaction but it is against moral codes it is also a war crimes but we won't worry, do that worry about that now but it does leave a mark on the people who did it at the time they thought it was right because they were furious they were hurt they were angry later on when they their frontal lobes, lobes have time to batch them around and say, you really made a mistake, mate. That's when this sits in. Yeah. Um, another one is, um, I saw I saw the deaths of innocent people in the war, or I was involved in killing civilians. These are all things, these are all what we call potentially morally injurious events. And every, I would say every combat person I know has experienced more than one of these. So everyone right. is at risk. And I imagine like the like the ACES questionnaire, the yeah. more right. the more that you check off the higher the uh, level. risk level right. of developing moral injury. Right. Absolutely. Yes, it, it is cumulative. That's a very good observation. It is cumulative. It just gets worse. And the worse it is, the more difficult it is to get over, to deal with, to cope with, to learn to live with, or to kill yourself over. Yep. Thanks for sharing that, Dr. Archer. Mm -hmm. uh, my, ne my next question is, why do you think that moral injury is particularly challenging for veterans after they've left the military, uh, after they've left um, active duty service or time in the reserves? And then what unique struggles uh, do they face? Uh, and maybe in comparison to veterans that don't have moral injury. Well, or who haven't, more to the point, to veterans who haven't seen combat and veterans who were in positions where they were not. The, the, the trigger issue seems to be killing, killing somebody, uh, you know, Preferably, I mean, under the, your rules of engagement, killing the enemy. 
Uh, but both killing civilians and fragging your own or friendly fire, as we euphemistically call it, where you end up killing your buddies. Uh, these are these are terrible things. Let me uh, digress a little bit, but and then come back to your question. Sure. Only approximately one percent of Americans of us are members of our uniformed military services at any one time. We civilians who have never served in men in com com combat must always remember and honor the inestimable debt that we owe the 1%. Our freedom is not free, but the loyal service and sacrifices of our service members and their families, if this if were not for them, we would not have the freedom that we mostly take for granted here. That's Thomas, absolutely true. Yeah, Thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah. in, in, I'd like to go on a bit here. In 1940, Thomas Wolfe wrote a book called You Can't Never Go Home Again. The pre this prescient observation is based on humans' natural nostalgia that leads us to often view the past as overly positive and to remember the past and the people and places from our past as they were. Of course, we can return home physically after being away. However, homecoming for military personnel, especially who, those who experience combat and, combat and killing, and for their families and associates is particularly different, difficult. We must face the reality, they must face the reality that everyone has inevitably changed as has the home over time and experience. Many of these changes may be positive and desired. Others are problems and are often totally unexpected, unexpected. Virtually all service members have been affected psychologically, emotionally, and all and too often physically by their combat experiences, particularly after multiple deployments in combat, which are so prevalent amongst our current veterans from the last 20 years wars. Combat net veterans have been nearly killed themselves or wounded multiple times. They have killed enemies and civilians. They have lost buddies to injuries and death. They have destroyed property. In short, they have done and seen violence on a scale which they cannot or will not share with civilians nor are most civilians prepared to hear or understand those things. Active duty members return to their home post and remain in the military milieu where they at least have contact with some of their buddies with whom they have shared combat and other experiences. So they have people around them who can understand and support each other. These veterans are fortunate, but not immune from the can't go home again syndrome. But at least they have a more ready access to support services since they are on post to deal with moral injury to which more than 40% of them are statistically at risk. I'm particularly concerned about the guard and the national, the national guard and the reserves coming home. The National Guard and reservists come home to the civilian society and their families. Most of these veterans are in the communities where they used to live, and so are no longer surrounded with the people who shared their experiences in combat and so understand them. Communities may set up, must set up, provide resource and provide resources for veterans to be able to get the help they need help others and help their communities. And this is the mission of the, the Building Veteran Healthy Communities project on which we all serve. Can physically go home again, but neither you 
nor your family, nor your home, nor your community are the same. That's absolutely right. And part of our literature review, we talked about how veterans generally will go to yes, more rural. rural areas. Right. Uh, maybe their hometown, maybe not even their hometown, maybe just somewhere to get away from the, the military lifestyle, the busyness of being in the military. Yep. And you know, to your point of the Building Veteran Healthy Communities Project, Many of these communities do not have the resources or or aren't aware even that these members come back and have even served in the military. And so like Dr. Upshaw mentioned in our first episode of the podcast, it does start with an awareness from these community members that these people have served. And then, and then secondly, there should be a level of uh, cultural competence for taking care of our own, you know, taking care of these service members when they do return home. And so hopefully we can bridge that gap with this project. Well, if, if we, I, it certainly appears to me we're making progress on that and that this project can very much be a, mad, a model for other communities uh, to do this. And we must, as I said in my opening remarks, we owe these people our freedom and we must never forget that it has cost them dearly right. and we need to nurture accept reintegrate and love them right and this is as amy mentioned should not be a partisan issue oh god no this is a human issue right so taking care of our veterans, taking care of their families. Right. It they also will benefit the community as a whole. Yep. So. Yep. All right. On to our next question. I think we both understand it's an important issue, especially for those of us with veterans in our lives or those like myself who's active duty um, or have family members that are veterans. How... Can we, as public health experts, as nurses, as members of the community, recognize signs of moral injury in veterans and also provide the right support to these veterans? Well, with somewhat with great difficulty, um, because they will try to hide as long as they can their symptoms. Uh, they will fail because the symptoms could become overwhelming. Um, we have to try to figure out what's normal. And then when it doesn't appear normal, mood swings, substance abuse, self-harming behaviors, inability to get along with people. Um, you, you mentioned people wanting to go away from home and so on and so forth. Yes, I suspect they probably do want to go away from home, but the problem is they can't go away from the source of the problem, which is inside them. And they, they, they have guilt systems. I spoke about survivor's guilt already. Uh, poor self-care. Uh, they have no self-esteem, so they don't care what they look like or smell like or whether, whether they're wearing clean clothes. Many of our veterans are homeless because they can't deal with, or they couldn't deal with their home situation and they left. Uh, eating disorders, there's a list of symptoms half, half a mile long. Uh, the point I think is that we need to make, try to make clear to, to veterans, one, that we understand they have been through a lot and we are willing to listen to them talk about it. Because one of the, Talk therapy is the basis of most of our psychiatric treatments. I'm not saying this is a psychiatric treatment. This is a this is an emotional problem. But we have to be ready to listen to them. We have to let them know that we're interested. We have to accept what they are doing, even if it's difficult. It's much more difficult for them than it is for us, believe me. 
and uh, for, because they 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 know what they're doing, but they can't not do it. And so that it it is it, it is we need to listen to them. Um, we need to accept what they say. And one of the problems is civilians are not not prepared to hear. Although I guess in this country with our mass you know daily virtually mass shootings. We should be pretty well used to seeing people with gunshot wounds and laying on the road and all this, but uh, most of us aren't, and that's certainly not something we want. But this is when they've, they've been their life, and they need to be able to talk about it with people who understand them. And this is one of the real problems that they face with with civilians because we don't understand. We can't. Right. We judge them, or they feel we do. I mean, the minute they feel they're being judged. They will clam up like that. You mentioned talk therapy, um, and I think it's a great resource. However, that one hour a week they get is yeah. Know, that's all they you know. That's all the the therapy that you get, and how many you know all those other hours of the week. You know where where is the support? And so, okay, this is where community organizations come in, and there are a lot exactly I exactly. I didn't write them down. I mean, you're the project is identifying these and and cataloging them and making people helping to make people aware of them. There are hotlines, and there's a bunch of stuff on the internet. There are many projects. There is help if they know, first of all, they have to know they have a problem. And the secondly, they have to have the motivation. And this comes back to this, this business of guilt and self-esteem. Because if I'm a useless, nasty, bad person, I'm not worth doing anything for in my own, in my own eyes. Therefore, I am immobile and I just get mad and I throw things and or I walk out or I am sullen or you know, we have domestic violence. We have we have ACEs uh, in these situations because you'll recognize it. <laughs> I think because of the the abnormal. I mean, the, and the and and families are frightened. I've had families tell me I'm terrified of him, her, uh, kids. I don't like my dad anymore. My mother's not like she was, and they're right. But we have to help the parent, the spouse. Uh, and some people, some some families, that, that both spouses have been deployed. That's a real challenge. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, it's the self-loathing, the the self-harming behaviors, the substance abuse. They're trying to forget what they don't want to remember, because it's it's a problem inside them, and it, yeah. it's terrible. It really is. P P P T S D. We can pretty well recognize with its symptoms. Moral injury is much more subtle and therefore much more difficult to, to deal, to recognize, much less deal with. Yeah, I think it's uh, not in the limelight as much as PTSD is nowadays and people aren't aware of its existence, you know? Well, the, one of the few good things perhaps from the COVID situation is that many health workers poor souls, now also have moral injury. And that's getting a lot of play. I mean, I've been working with a number of groups of, of healthcare workers who have all these symptoms. They didn't see combat, but they had to do things. They couldn't give care to patients that they wanted to. They didn't have enough supplies. Uh, they, they had to bar families who wanted to be with their loved one when the loved one was dying and they could, had to say, no, you can't do this. I mean, these are things that that tear you up inside. Mm -hmm. So that there is there is more awareness of, of unfortunately on the basis of, of the experience so many healthcare workers have had with with moral injury. The result yeah. the results are the same. And suicides uh, also amongst healthcare workers. Yeah, I do remember seeing a lot of that in the news, uh, 2020 and 2021, yeah. and yeah. Really sad to see that affecting our healthcare workers. Being one of them, it's it's yeah, tough yeah, to well, see that. Me too. 
Well, and, yeah. the, and the issue of, of, you know, the healthcare workers can resign. Military cannot. It is a little bit more difficult. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Thank you so much. Our uh, next question, and you did touch on this, so feel free to uh, pass on this one, but what specific resources or strategies um, have proven effective that you've seen in helping veterans cope and recover from oral injury? Uh, could you share? Could you share a few of these resources? Um, the some of the best ones. Uh, well, one of the problems is there's a whole lot of different kinds of therapies being tried with moral injury. Uh, most of them are not working very well, which is why they keep giving new, find, trying to find new ones. Uh, the problem, in my opinion, having been there and done this, is that I cannot, I, speaking from my own experience, I could not, somebody else cannot cure me of, quote, cure me or, or help me with moral injury. I have to do it. I created the problem. I have to solve it ultimately. I have to stop beating myself up. I have to realize what done it, what is done is done. I have to realize that either I'm going to get over this or I'm going to end up useless or dead or both. And this is really difficult. I mean, the, the VA is using adaptive disclosure uh, and a very interesting theory uh, on the impact called the impact on ki of killing which really gets people to look at what they have done and why they did it and what, you know, what's happening now and so on. Um, there's all sorts of other yeah, uh, therapies, again, which, which tells me that none of them are working very well or we wouldn't have so many of them. We would begin to, to narrow down the therapies that are effective and use them. There's no silver bullet, believe me in this sort of a situation. But veterans, healthcare workers, anybody with, a PT, with I'm sorry, moral injury has to understand, it seems to me, that I did this, only I can fix it. Nobody else can fix it. They can't fix it for me. I have to fix it. They can help me, but mm -hmm. I have the one. And this is what makes moral injury so much of a disease, or about that's not a disease, a situation, a wound that kills from the inside. This is the reality that I have faced, and I believe that they face. I think that's why this project is so important in yep. finding these resources to help veterans, um, because I think the most impactful thing is that you do it, you do these things together. And mm -hmm. you you don't isolate yourself, and and we we're now in an age of increasing isolation. As we, uh, although social media and our ways to be quote unquote connected have just uh, increased exponentially, we do find ourselves truly isolated. And I think that is a very tough position to be in for a veteran who is suffering from moral injury. Um, to find themselves. And so I think having these resources, having these groups for veterans that um, are like-minded groups, groups that understand them and can help them get through this, this yeah. um, moral injury is very important. Well, help each other. This is, this is the thing. I mean, the whole principle of, of group therapy is, well, not that, well, anyway, is that Everybody benefits. You find out you're not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. Oh my God, you've got it too. Um, this is what's really important. I used to, when I was working with trying to get people to realize we could maybe prevent some of this, in talking to senior NCOs um, about the about the fact that particularly they are young troops, and we have so many, I mean, our, our, our lower grade enlisted people are in their teens, for crying out loud. These people's brains are not developed enough to deal with this sort of stuff. They are not able to make the kinds of decisions and rational 
uh, examinations of what's going on that need to be done. And I tried, I, I kept, when I met with them, I would say, please, when your troops come back from something you know did not go well, get them together, sit them down and get them to talk. Get immediately, get them to talk to each other, swear, scream, cry, whatever they want to do, but they've got to get this out. And the sooner they get it out, the less damage is going to do to them. Now, whether they did what I suggested is, I, you know, that it's the problem with a teacher. You never, you never know quite what people do with what you teach them, but you have the you have the moral responsibility to teach them regardless. Right. And you hope they do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but this is this is this is the this is the terrible thing about moral injury. Or because it, we can see somebody who lost a leg. We can see somebody who, you know, has a you know, other other visible injuries. So we take much better care of our physically injured folks than we do of our psychologically and emotionally injured folks. There's definitely a bias, right? When you see someone well, you who's physically man. injured. Yeah, it's it's well, much it's easier, easier to have compassion. I mean, on, let's, let's face it; it's actually it's easier. You and I know that. You know, it's easier to fix a broken leg than a broken heart. Right. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a yeah a very clear cut manual for that. Right, absolutely. But there's really not when it comes to post traumatic stress and moral injury. Yeah, we're learning. We're learning fast because there's so much of it. I mean, and look at this: forty six percent of our population of, of service persons. Are we're at risk, and of that population, I mean, that, that on tests show that they have experienced sufficient potentially morally injurious events that they have moral injury. We do not have the resources in VA or any place else, and VA is trying very hard. But the waiting time I saw someplace recently is at least 18 days for an appointment. I mean, right. if I'm sitting here with a loaded gun in my mouth, 18, I'm not going to be around in 18 days. Yeah. I mean, we've got to get better immediate services. And there are hotlines, but do people know about them? We've got to publicize them. We've got to get the information out. And in this day and age of social media and so much misinformation and so much just complete garbage, um, we've got more problems than we need in trying to do this sort of thing and making it much, much more difficult. And people, and some people blindly believe everything they see on social media and some people don't believe yeah. anything from anybody. Yeah, I think uh, public health communications has their work laid out for them. Now. Oh boy, and how. Uh, it's, Absolutely. it's more important than ever in this, uh, call it an infodemic. So much information, right. and most right. of it is is misinformation. Right. All right, I'll move on to our next question. Your work over the past many years um, has likely brought you face-to-face -face with some impactful and powerful stories. Are there any experiences you can share that underscore the importance of addressing moral injury in veterans? I've had people... Soldiers cry on my shoulder, um, scream and carry on and curse at me, I mean, depending on how they chose to, or how they normally handle their emotions, which is up to them, um, and tell me the most horrible things that, you know, I really didn't need to hear, but they needed to say, so I listened. And um, again, it goes back to, um, I did something and my, my buddy got killed. I'm a medic. I did everything I could to save my command, my, my my squad leader, but he was so badly hurt I couldn't, and it's my fault that he died. Um, again, I sent my I sent my my guys down this down this road, and they they hit an IED, and they all were wiped out. I'm I did it. I did it. It's my fault. If I hadn't sent them down that road, it wouldn't have happened. Um, the most difficult ones I've encountered are the very few, but they do happen, where I, which I spoke about earlier, the, the rogue activities, 
where uh, take the take the example I just gave. My my troop, my my buddies went down the road. They got got killed. One or two survivors, or some of the guys back at the post. When they find out this happens, they go berserk. They lost their best friends. This is a wretched war. I don't, you know, I hate everybody, and uh, they can go rogue and kill people usually innocent civilians, unfortunately, because they're the ones who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's particularly difficult, I, I understand from what they say, in killing women and children. And these that doing that leaves scars on people that are, are almost indelible. Um, one of the questions we ask on some of these, some of these tests for, for moral injury is, um, you know, what, what, what complicated your, your, your thinking. And that is, um, it makes me recall the, the Christmas Eve and, uh, in the World War I with the Germans and the Americans celebrated Christmas Eve together and then started killing each other again in the morning. This is very difficult when you find out the enemy is not the, the dreadful person you thought. And or were taught to think, and we teach our folks to hate. I mean, that, that, anyway, um, this this is part of getting people to the point where they can kill other people that we don't ordinarily, unless we're whack jobs, uh, just go around with AK-47s and shoot up children. But um, we have to be motivated. So um, yeah, I'll spare the gory details, but. Um, People, people have said to me that this, all this killing has made me feel like I'm a monster. I, I, I'm no good. I mean, I've killed all these people and, and for what? And unfortunately, that's un, unfortunately quite true almost of our previous, our last 20 years in combat. What have we accomplished? Um, it's, hmm. it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough, but they need yeah. the, 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 the message is they've got to be able to talk about it and they've got to be accepted when they talk about it. I don't care whether your stomach goes jumping out of your belly when they tell you some of the things they've been through. You've got to let them talk and accept what they say, not what they have done, but what who they are and to let them know that, you know, I I maybe don't like what you did but i love you there's a difference yeah. and yeah. but but people unless and and this is where we need to do some public education because civilians are not prepared to do this and we when we cringe we draw back we our faces betray the fact that we are being judgmental oh my god how could you do that well in combat you do that over yeah. and over and over again and um, yeah, the, the stories are are, are absolutely um, chilling. Um, and 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 you you want you you don't you better not anyway. But you want to cry with them. No, I and I have cried with some of them. It was so bad. I mean, I said, "Oh my mm -hmm. God, you poor soul! You you had to go through that." Um, treat people like people, mm -hmm. and they'll react like people. Yeah, I think it's important to meet them where they are and to share that grief with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with crying with someone yeah. who is sharing such a better to cry than a grief-filled story, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this is, but this is what's so difficult about moral injury because again, it's something I did. And so it's something I have to come to come to grips with and learn to live with it, but not let it rule my life. Uh, make rep, rep, you know, reparations where I can. And I'm getting into my, my last comments here. Um, and, and, and because not only does this perhaps help other people, it helps me. And if I don't help me, yeah. Nobody else can help me. Yeah. Because I'll 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 balk, uh, ignore, 
whatever, whatever they say, unless I'm convinced that I need to, to do this. I just had a thought about how these people, these veterans that come back with moral injury, and I think of the uh, the idea of putting on your mask first, right? And how are these young young men and women able to help others after they've served unless they've been able to get the help that they need uh, with this moral injury? And so many of them have so much of their lives ahead of them. I mean, Absolutely. 18, 19, 20, in their early 20s, et cetera. And, and, and they feel with, with dealing with this moral injury, what help can they be to other people? And it starts, it starts internally. <laughs> it starts yeah. with themselves. And so we, we owe it to our veterans to help them on that path of healing from this moral injury. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, think of what they have given us and done for us and sacrificed for us far more than we're going to sacrifice to do what you're saying, which we must do. Yep. All right, Dr. Archer, one more question mm -hmm. for any veterans or their loved ones uh, who might be listening to this podcast uh, and grappling with moral injury. What words of advice or comfort would you give to them? Right. Then this is sort of a summary here. Um, for the families, for the associates, for the spouses, um, encourage veterans to talk about their experiences, to tell their stories, and to understand and understand and accept what they're saying. Um, help helpers must listen carefully and unconditionally accept what's going on. And help veterans believe that all they would, they did something that was against their moral code and probably your own. That this does not have to rule their lives forever. They need to, however they can do it, come to deal and be in the space now, not in the past. And what is done is done and cannot be undone. I mean, if you can make reparations or you can make you know some sort of restitution, do it. If you can't, sooner or later, you've got to move on and you've got to help them move on. Um, try to get them involved in activities, sports, civic activities, uh, food pantries. I mean, things that help other people that will help the veteran to gain self-esteem, get over the idea that I'm a bad person and I don't deserve to be alive because I'm so bad. For the veterans, um, try to go to VA because the VA knows the most about, I know, and I know VA, many of our young ones will not go to VA. And I think that's a sad mistake because VA has more experience with moral injury than anybody else in the country. Uh, ignore the stigma of being thought to be crazy and get help because that's better than committing suicide. You gotta stop beating yourself up. You've got to forgive yourself. Somehow you have got to come to grips with what you did recognize it you had to do it under the circumstances however much you regret that and move on work on your social and and family relationships um be honest about it when you are feeling bad and are are losing your temper and and try to control it stay off of alcohol and drugs they'll kill you um focus on the future not the past Find ways to help others in your community, which will help you recover yourself. You are not foobard unless you let yourself be foobard. And only you can change that. I overcame moral injury. You can too. Please do so before it's too late. 
our country continues to need you. Your mission is not over. Hua. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, all the wisdom that you've given me today. I look forward to working with you in the future. And Indeed. Um, thank you. And with you. Yeah. I hope you have a great weekend and we will chat soon. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and you too. And take care of that little darling. <laughs> She's a joy. <laughs> <laughs>